Well, good morning, Ocean View. For this month of May, we're talking about winning the war in your mind. Uh, I hope it's helping some of you. I hope you're, you're kind of connecting in and kind of working through some of these things. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit of taking uh, science and scripture and seeing how scripture has all along known the way. Science is only now just saying, yeah, that is the way to kind of deal with life. We're going to kind of see that a little more this morning. I wonder how many of you are in the middle of a pretty decent life, for the most part. You know, things pretty good. But you still complain a lot. Why is that? Our lives can be pretty special most of the time, but our minds can drift to the things that we don't like. And our voices are ready to complain at the drop of a hat. So what do we know about our mind? Kind of rehashing a little bit the last few months. Our mind is a battlefield, and most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. The life that we have is a result of the thoughts that we think. What comes into your mind tends to come out in your life. We also learn that if you have a negative mind, it's almost impossible to have a, have a positive life. When your mind is consumed with negative thoughts, it kind of leads to a negative life. The life you have is often a reflection of the thoughts that you think. So the key thought for this whole series comes from 2 Corinthians 10. The Apostle Paul said, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... Our weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we learned that strongholds, uh, strongholds are the wrong patterns of thinking. Many of us are held hostage by the lies that we believe. And we want to, in the last uh, two weeks and next two weeks, really, what are some of the tools? What are some of these weapons and what do these weapons do? Paul goes on to demonstrate how we deal with the lies. He says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Uh, the title of today's message is Defeat Your Negative Thoughts. And so let's go before God in prayer as we look into this. Father, we ask by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit that you would renew our minds with truth. Demolish every stronghold, every argument, every pretension in our minds that sets itself up against the knowledge of truth. Give us power to grab the negative, hurtful, toxic lies, capture them, and replace them with truth. Give us your mind that we can live according to your will, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God created the mind in human beings, and Scripture tells us how powerful the mind is. And science is revealing more and more the truth that the mind is incredibly powerful. It's incredibly complex. We have these neural pathways in our mind, sort of pathways that are, are, are made in our mind. And it, what's so interesting is that every time you think a thought, you're actually creating patterns or pathways in your brain. The more often you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. Today, we're going to talk about our mental filters or biases. Now, a mental filter or a bias is a mistake in reasoning based on personal experiences or preferences. 
stuff that's happened in your life creates a certain way of looking at life. It, we will call it a mental filter. This mistaken reasoning can be based on what you've experienced or even what you prefer. It crema- creates this mental framework in your life. Perhaps something, here's an example, perhaps something really bad happened to you when you were growing up. And it can leave you with a way of thinking or a filter through which you might see a situation and you'll see the situation inaccurately. For example, unfortunately, some of you may have grown up around very abusive men. Women, maybe you were hurt physically or emotionally. Perhaps you were abused emotionally or sexually, so much so that your filter tends to shape how you see all men. The reality is that not all men are hurtful and not all of them are abusive. It can work the reverse as well. I've talked to men and they tend to see, because they've been hurt by a woman, they're divorced, something, their wife did something, and now they see all women with that same filter and they don't trust women. Another example might be that you've grown up with parents who are poor and they said bad things about wealthy people. Wealthy people are selfish and proud and arrogant and even evil. And now you find yourself starting to succeed financially and you kind of feel guilty or ashamed. Well, it's not that it's bad, but it's your filter shapes how you see it. Your experiences shape how you see life. What's interesting is if you change the filter, it often changes how you feel. Change the filter, it changes the feeling. Does anyone remember these? Here's a picture on the screen. This is the killer washing machine. That's called a ringer washing machine. Uh, When I was growing up, that's what my mom had, what my grandmother had. There was an agitator tub in there, it was electric, and it sta- but instead of the spin cycle, it squeezed clothes through the rollers, and it did a fair job of that. When I was 18 months old, one of these tried to kill me, literally. Mom was doing the laundry and went to the basement to get something, and I, at 18 months, was standing there watching what mom was doing, just like my little grandson Wyatt, And Wyatt is very smart. He can look and see, oh, I know what's next. That's what I did. Mom was gone. The agitator stopped. And I knew what should come next. You take the clothes and you put them through the ringers. So I started to do that. Only I didn't let go in time. And my arm went all the way through the ringer. And being so little, it didn't kick the emergency off. And so it just ground all my skin up. I still have the scars all along in here. That happened in the November, and by the March, my arm was so infected, I ended up in hospital for four weeks. All of April, through my second birthday, penicillin was not taking it away. And then I got red measles, not German measles, red measles. They put me in ICU. My mom was pregnant with Grant, so she couldn't visit. My dad was working. He came once in a while. I was isolated alone, waiting to die. I'm not sure that I thought that, but I have vague recollections of people and masks and everything walking around me. But miraculously, the antibodies from the red measles cleared up all the infections. 
Dr. Coleman was always amazed. I hated going to the doctor, seeing the doctor, because he immediately would look at my arm and the fear came up in me. I'd be going to hospital again. So I grew up with insomnia for years. I was age of six before I could actually stay in my own bed. I was quiet, shy. I wanted to stay unnoticed. I wanted to be obedient and to follow all the rules, do everything well, and don't give anyone a reason to criticize or dislike me so I won't be abandoned again. Make everyone happy. Now that lasted all the way through my life into the 20s and 30s. I didn't understand that I had abandonment issues. But I took all these mental filters into adulthood. I did not like, I still don't like, I cringe at criticism, I cringe at confrontation. I have abandonment issues. I want to make people happy so that they won't, I won't be abandoned again. I react to many things as a child and I have to constantly push myself to say, no, I am now an adult. I don't have to do that, but those are mental filters. Our brain is pre-wired to think a certain way. It's pre-wired to interpret a situation even if our interpretation isn't completely accurate. That's why you can have a certain situation that will be interpreted completely different by two different people. The facts are the same, but the filter is different. Here's an example. You're at your workplace. Your supervisor gives exactly the same feedback to two different people. One person is offended and angry. Why are you telling me that? You don't know how valuable I am. I don't even like you anyway. Who do you think you are giving me that feedback? You don't know how much I bring to this company. Whereas the next person has exactly the same feedback but has a different filter. And they think, hey, thank you. That was so helpful. Now I can do a better job. I really appreciate the fact that you valued me so much that you're trying to help me improve and stay with the company. The facts were not different, but the filter made a huge difference. Two people attend a church on exactly the same day. They hear exactly the same sermon, exactly the same songs. One leaves convinced that all Christians are hypocrites. I hate the music. The place is stupid. I never want to come back. Right next to that person could be someone else who experiences the very same thing. And they think, these people are amazing. They're so loving. I love the music. Maybe I'm here because God wants me here. It's not the facts that are different. What is it? It's the filter. Depending on what news source you consume, you can read or watch some news sources, and you can be convinced that the vaccine is the answer to every problem this year. Or if you read different sources, you can be convinced this is the most dangerous thing. It will kill you and they're going to probably put a chip in you that you can't get out. Just depends on your filter. Now you can see this in the scriptures as well. In the Old Testament, Numbers 13. Moses sent 12 spies out to explore the new land. Each of them saw exactly the same thing. But the reports were entirely different. It wasn't the facts that were different. What was it? It was the filter. Two of them, Caleb and Joshua, came back and they said, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's perfect. God has given it to us. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the other ten had a different filter. And it, I found it really interesting, ten out of twelve. 
That's a large percentage were negative, and I think that's probably what you're going to find in the world. A large percentage are easier to be negative, afraid, and critical than it is to fight for a positive attitude. Ten came back and they said, this is dangerous. The land devours people and they're giants. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Their filter changed the percent perception of how they felt. They felt like grasshoppers in the eyes of everybody else. Wasn't the facts that were different, was it? It was the filter. But it's not just the filter that matters, it's also the frame. You can be in the same situation and it's how you frame something determines how you see it. What does it mean to frame or reframe a situation or reframe a relationship? Reframing is creating a different way of looking at a situation or relationship by changing its meaning. Sounds pretty science, psychologically weird. I, uh, it's very interesting. The Bible talks about this all the time. Just don't use those terms. You can't always control what happens to you, but you can certainly control how you react to a situation, no matter how tough your position might be. We do this reframing all the time with our children and grandchildren, don't you? Hi, how many times have I heard moms, when kids are acting up, Change your attitude to gratitude. That's known as reframing. Let's look at this a different way. What are some positive things? That is reframing. We find reframing stories encouraging and uplifting. Many of our songs and hymns are written to help us reframe our view of the world. I, when I drive to work, I listen to uh, the message at Christian Station. And they are constantly helping us reframe the difficulties in life. I was going through these difficulties. We listened to these testimonies. And God showed me how the good is being used. That is called reframing. Here's a famous, the famous, what I'll call the famous lice story. Lice, the little bugs in your hair. It's told by Corey Ten Boom in her book, The Hiding Place. Corey and her sister, Betsy were prisoners in a Nazi concentration camp in Ravensbrück, one of the worst. They were assigned to a dormitory crawling with lice and fleas. But they were determined, or Betsy was, Corey was disgusted. Betsy, what are we going to do? And Betsy was saying, well, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, we started our service this morning with that, says to give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Betsy prayed and thanked God for all aspects of their situation in the concentration camp in this huge dorm, and she thanked God for the lice and the fleas. Corey, quite understandably, was, she was mad about that. She didn't like that. Now these two women faithfully read their smuggled Bibles with other prisoners every day. Initially, they were very secretive for fear of the guards. But eventually, such a large crowd gathered around them that they had a second gathering so everyone could hear. But they didn't understand why the guards allowed it. Only later did they learn that the guards refused to enter that dormitory 
because of the infestation of lice and fleas. Being in a concentration camp is horrible enough, but to have lice on top of that is, well, lousy. That would seem to be a situation of total despair, irredeemable, completely devoid of hope, yet God entered literally lousy circumstances and somehow worked good in them. That is reframing. Rejoice always. We cannot ignore Scripture that reminds us over and over to reframe the situations we find ourselves in. 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Or Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Reframe. Reframe your day. You wake up and you determine ahead of time that it's going to be a bad day. And you can say very easily, this is going to be a hard day. I got so much to do today. I work with these people. They drive me crazy. Now, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. Life is hard. Life is bad. What, is I'm, what am I going to do? My husband is driving me crazy. Why do we have all these kids? I'm sick of my stupid car. I hate the people I work with. I hate my job. Now you can take the same situation and reframe it. You wake up and say, whoa, I got a lot going on today, but I'm so thankful God is with me. I'm thankful that he's there for me. I'm thankful he's given me a job. I'm thankful for that old clunker that gets me to work every day. And even though some people at work drive me crazy, I'm thankful for them because basically they're a pretty nice group of people. I believe today is going to be a good day. We're going to grind it out. We're going to get a lot done. It's not the facts that change, but it's how you frame it. I'm afraid that there are so many people that start to frame even asking God or even talking to God by saying, I don't like what's going on, God. And rather than looking for the goodness of God in the day, they see the badness. It's not just the facts that are different. It's the filter and it's often the frame. I had a dear friend, Susan, Suzanne, and she was struggling with a rare brain disorder and it progressively got worse and worse over the years. She didn't know until, they, until she died exactly what it was. But I always remember I had reacted uh, to a day. How is it going today, Pastor? Oh, it's a bad day. And she said, no, it's a day. Good things happen and bad things happen in a day, but it's still just a day. That is reframing according to biblical standards. What do we know what goes on in life? You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Think about your life right now. Think about the expectations that you have in your mind. How many of you wanted something in life, but right now you're experiencing the total opposite? You thought by this time I'd be doing such and such. I'd be in this place, or I'd have this, or I'd have accomplished this, or I would have this relationship. You desperately wanted something, but instead of achieving or accomplishing or having or being where you wanted, you find yourself at the exact opposite. Maybe some of you dreamed of having a great marriage. You prepared for it. You prayed about it. You worked towards it with everything in you. You married your sweetheart, and years later, you ended up where you never wanted to be, brokenhearted and divorced. Maybe you went to college and studied, got a degree. It felt like you were prepared for something that was being meaningful in the world. Instead, you've got a job that you hate. It's beneath your education. You wondered, how in the world did I get here? 
Maybe you thought, I'd be married, or I'd be financially out of debt, or I'd be able to travel, or I'd have a ministry, or be making a difference in the world, or I would have started my business, or I'd be leading the business, or my kids would have been better off. Why am I not where I wanted to be? I'm so confused by this. Now, if you ever wake up and think, this isn't what I wanted, I wanted the exact opposite. The Apostle Paul knows exactly how you feel. He had a heart for God. He wanted to serve God. He felt called to go to Rome, the capital of the empire. He wanted to preach the gospel because he knew if he could reach people in Rome, it would be a strategic place to help the gospel spread all over the world. His dream, his great desire was to go to Rome to preach. Instead of being in Rome preaching, he finds himself in Rome as a prisoner. Ryan read that story at the beginning, that documentation from Dr. Luke about Paul ending up in Rome as a prisoner, locked up, under house arrest, awaiting possible execution, chained to a Roman soldier. He had his dream, but he got the exact opposite. Paul could have framed the situation in one of two ways. He could have framed it on the negative side. And this is what he would have said if he had framed it this way from Philippians 1, 12 to 13 in the end. W.V. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of the hell I've been through, I'm quitting my small group, and I'm never going back to church. That is the N.W.V., which is the new whiner's version. Just so you know, there is no real version called the new whiner's version, even though it might be your favorite version. This is how Paul really reframed it, taken in the N.I.V., now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Even though it looks like I'm in bad shape, when I reframe it, it's clear to everyone I'm actually in chains for Christ. I'm locked up to a Roman guard, a palace guard, the elite Praetorian guard, for eight hours, and every eight hours I get a new guard. And what do you think is the real prisoner here? I'm getting to preach to a captive audience. I get a new influential person every eight hours who has to sit there and listen to me dictate letters to different churches and friends on how good Jesus is. Reframing. It's how you frame it. He continues in verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Guess what? It looks bad because I'm in chains, but they're daring to proclaim the gospel even more boldly without fear. It's not the facts that were different. It's how you frame it. How can you reframe your story and your relationships? Many of you have a battle going on in your mind. Your life may have some complications. We all do. We all have stuff. There hasn't been a day without some stuff. It's stuff with your family. It's stuff with your kids. It's stuff with your neighbors. It's stuff with the people you work with. Bad doctor report stuff. Bad behavior stuff. Fighting with your spouse stuff financial problem stuff, fear stuff, bad news on the news stuff, bad news in your family 
stuff, bad news in your extended family. So often, so much of life is generally pretty decent, but often it's the small parts of the stuff that end up taking us out of the will of God. I want to talk to you about reframing your story and relationships and maybe give you two more tools to help us renew our minds and win the war in our minds so God can change our thinking, which will change our life. Now, I want to preface these two rules by one thing. Yesterday, we were going through our bank statements and we noted a big problem in our bank statements for the last year. Someone has been taking $700 a month out of our bank and I'm going, I didn't authorize that. So we quickly went online and set up an appointment on Monday with the bank to say, like, what's going on here? But I have now three days of anxiety and I am, I am filtering it from my abandonment issues, growing up in a poor family, holding on to every penny that we can. I'm struggling. And I'm looking at these two rules I put in and going, how can I tell people this when I'm struggling with it? And then I realized I didn't make these rules up. God did. And I'm going to try to help you with this. I am working at this, praying over this, trying to win the war in my mind over these things. Hopefully these help you. They're starting to help me, but it's a struggle. This is not easy. I can give you these two rules, and it sounds really nice, and yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're fighting through it, when you're anxious, this is hard stuff. But God knows, and science tells us God's right. Number one, how do you reframe your story? Thank God for what didn't happen. There was a 20-year-old girl that said, Mom and Dad, I have really bad news to tell you. I need you to sit down. Let me tell you the whole story, and I just want you to stay calm, but it's really bad news. I went out to a bar and met a guy. We drank too much. He came back to my apartment. We hooked up, and I'm embarrassed to say I'm pregnant. The good news is his probation will be over in a year. He's going to start looking for a job once he's out of rehab, and he'll consider marrying me. But since we can't afford to get married right now, he's just going to move in right now. She let it hang for a moment, and then she said, actually, none of that is true. The truth is, I got a D on my chemistry exam, and I just wanted you to know it could be a whole lot worse. There may be a time when some of you ought to thank God for what didn't happen in your life or in your kid's life. Maybe you missed your goal at work, you had a target so you could get your bonus, and you ended up not getting your bonus. You feel devastated by that. But you can thank God that in a very challenging economy, you didn't actually lose your job. You might get in a car wreck, it's going to be expensive, there's insurance hassles, there's deductible, you're going to be without a car, or you can say, thank God, nobody was hurt, it wasn't that big of a deal. In the whole scheme of things, there are some things that are a big deal. But so often, it's things that aren't a big deal that end up rocking our world. We just don't want it to be messed up. Take a step back now, every now and then, and look at the broader perspective. Instead of focusing on what you hate, you may just change the frame. God, I thank you for what didn't happen. 
There are so many good things. I'm not going to let this one thing put me off of being encouraged by your will. Last night, I had to go, in my frustration, I had to realize I didn't miss that money for the last year. God provided for us. I'm ticked off somebody's got our money, but I didn't actually miss it. Thank God for what didn't happen. Second thing, look for God's goodness. Because you will always find what you're looking for. It's just like the difference between the vulture and the hummingbird. What does a vulture look for? Well, every day that vulture gets up in the air like those eagles, and what's he looking for? He's looking for dead stuff, dead things, roadkill. What does he find? He finds dead stuff, dead things, and roadkill. What does a hummingbird look for? Hummingbird looks for sweet things, flowers, living things. Every day, what does the hummingbird find? Sweet things, good things. If you look for good, you can find good. If you look for bad, you'll find bad. If you want to see what's wrong every single day, you can find what's wrong every single day. If you want to not like people, you can find a ton of reasons not to like people. If you want to look for God, if you want to see faith, if you want to see the best you can, you will see God's goodness. You will always find what you're looking for. Uh, my daughter and son, or my son and daughter-in-law and their kids have this little ritual at supper time. What was your highlight today? Now, Millie, she is six years old, and she will not let us forget that. In fact, we sit down, say grace, and she goes, what was your highlight today? Yeah, we'll start with you, Papa, and we'll go this way around. And everybody has to find one thing that was a highlight. Now, I have asked sometimes, like, what is the opposite of a highlight? What is my non-highlight? Because I had some non-highlights, and Millie says, no, 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 you have to give a highlight. I have three. Um, look for God's goodness. What is God's goodness? If you look for the goodness of God in the brokenness of this world, you will find it. If you look for the goodness of God, even in the brokenness of this world, you will find it. If you want to see what's wrong, what's bad, what's not working, what's wrong with the world, you can live a really depressed, negative life. If you want to look for where God is working, you can see he's still on the throne. He's still good. He's still powerful. He still answers prayer. Let Jesus help you decide the meaning of a situation. Let Jesus frame it for you. Now, you have heard that the last year was the worst year ever. Apparently, Time Magazine says 2020, the worst year ever. Not only pandemic deaths resulting in economic struggles as we attempt to deal with the threats, there are mental struggles, frustration explosions, opinion wars, a growing awareness of racial tensions. If you reopen, you're dangerous. If you don't reopen, you have no faith. If you wear a mask, you're a flaming liberal. If you don't wear a mask, you're dangerous to the world. Hatred from Christians to the world. Hatred from Christians to the world. Hatred from Christians to Christians. We find ourselves in the middle of this very difficult situation. As I look back over the last year, it's easy at first glance to think it's the worst year ever. But you know, if you reframe the year, I have noticed We've had way more family time. 
we have been way less rushed because we don't have a hundred things we're going out to and meeting and being and doing. It's been, as I started at the very beginning with Campbell River, I said, this is a jubilee year. In scripture, every 50 years, you were supposed to take the year off completely. No work, no church, no giving, nothing, not even planting anything. God says, rest. Maybe this is our jubilee year. God's saying, churches, just rest and be the church. In CRBC and Campbell River, um, the year helped de-stress the staff. They'd been through four years of, of quite a big struggle, and this was my chance just to help them de-stress. We cleaned, we organized, we built shelves, we built TV sets, we built a TV studio. Uh, we learned a whole new online experience thing which has helped a lot of people who would never even go to church. They're watching church. New platforms were developed almost overnight. We now have Zoom. I never heard of Zoom. Now people Zoom all over and all kinds of places all across the country. I also noticed I've had fewer colds and fewer flus because I haven't people breathing in my face anymore. And I don't have little kids going to school bringing flus home. Reframing. Has it been the worst year? Maybe. But you can reframe it. God is working in all things for good. That's what, something we have to believe. God is working in all things for good. And then it's time to reject the unhealthy thoughts, to do away with those frames that tell you, you can't, you won't, you're nothing, you're a failure, you're not smart. We're not passively receiving circumstances but we're actively interpreting it. We're not interpreting the goodness of God through our circumstances. Instead, we're interpreting our circumstances through the goodness of God. What, is what has happened, Paul says, has actually served to advance the gospel. Because you cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but continue to allow yourselves to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus said that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. May God do that with our mind. Ryan, would you come and pray for us?